Good afternoon, folks. We're about 10 seconds from your first glimpse of the falls. Yes, uh, I guess you're a local. I grew up here. This is a nice town, but that thing drives people crazy. Remember I used to talk about the one-eyed boy? I remember you telling me a lot of things. I found a picture. A lot of history around these parts. An awful lot of history. Alex Mulan. Close the door. You know him. He found him in the gorge. Are they sure it was a suicide? You got a curious streak, huh? Do you know what happens when a body hits the bottom of the gorge? Think swallowing a live grenade. I want to report a kidnapping. There are no open or closed cases that match your date or description. That's it? I'm just someone who saw it. So what? I saw them take him. Tell someone. See if they believe you. You are joined today by Mark Davies and Lindsay Campbell. Wonderful. Today, we are doing all the heavy lifting. Christian Zip is getting ready for the festival season in Edmonton and surrounding areas in Alberta. Plus, he's pumping his weights, getting ready for the award seasons with all the award shows. So we are flying solo. But as always, uh, we pay tribute to Christian Zip. He is the man, the legend, the myth who has uh, had this show under his belt for many years. So thank you for letting us steer the ship today. Mm-hmm. And as always, Lindsay and I were hoping to go hard on the Canadian content. Lindsay, what's the first film we wanted to talk about today? Today, well, we've got a double feature for you. So we're going to start off with the 2019 film Disappearance at Clifton Hill. Which... As all you millions of listeners know, Lindsay always kind of puts me through the gauntlet. She suggests films over text, and we obviously try to use the films that have been uh, provided uh, with grants by Telefilm. So this film is actually a, a product of Telefilm, and I always put together my elevator pitch, but why don't you let everybody know kind of like a bit of synopsis about the film and that they can kind of get familiar with it if, if they want to check it out in the future. Sure. Now, this is a bit of a complicated film. This is like a mystery thriller with a lot of uh, twists and turns. But essentially, it's about a girl named Abby. She's a bit of a lost soul. She returns home to Niagara Falls, where her mother has passed away. And she's going to take over this really ramshackled old motel where nobody in their right mind would ever want to stay. And um, a really rich guy in town, played by Edmonton's own Eric Johnson, wants to buy the motel, you know, as a developer. But she's kind of preoccupied by this memory she has of being a kid and seeing what she believes to have been a child abduction and with nothing else to do in her life but run the motel and solve mysteries, apparently. She becomes obsessed with trying to figure out if she indeed indeed witnessed a kidnapping and who the boy was, etc. That's a good explanation. My elevator pitch... I would say it's kind of Mind Hunter meets Unsolved Mysteries meets CBC documentaries on CBC News World. You know, how would you feel about that explanation? Sure. <laughs> I think probably the, the best thing to kind of allude to is you had mentioned the young protagonist, Abby, 
how she has this memory of, of a boy being kidnapped. And through all the research I was doing for the film, I discovered that the director, and I don't know if you know this, Lindsay, but his name's Albert Shin, and he actually had a memory very similar to this. And this is kind of the inspiration where he came up with the film, which on its own is, is kind of a creepy idea to think about that, you know, this young man had this idea. Certainly he was inspired by this encounter that he had. And so he certainly, I feel, is doing a lot of things with the film. This is one of the times where I think he has a message, but I wouldn't say the message is always clear half of the time. And there's a lot of ups and downs with it. But what were some of the things you appreciated about the film before maybe we get into more of the critical side of things? I'll say this. The film clearly had production value. It had a good cast. The acting was fine. None of that was the problem. It walked and talked like a film. It was a, had a lot of extra things that I think were extraneous to the narrative um, that kind of detracted and made things more confusing than they needed to be. There was a lot of subplots going on, a lot of weird characters that I think were just thrown in for, I don't know, Cronenberg plays a weird scuba diving podcaster who's a conspiracy theorist, kind of helps Abby along finding the mystery and stuff. So there's a lot of things that are, are perfectly fine about this film, but there's there's a few things that, it, there's just a lot of extra things going on. Well, you know, too, when I try to prepare for these films that we watch with kind of the Canadian background, I take notes and I found, Lindsay, I probably got about a page of notes on Cronenberg. He's probably the one in the film, probably the most obtuse, the most interesting to watch on screen. Some of the things I thought about First of all, for, for everybody who's not familiar, David Cronenberg is probably one of the most four-mentioned Canadian directors in the history of our cinematic landscape. Just recently, he actually released the film Crimes of the Future. Yeah. He hadn't directed, I think, in over 10 years. And the thing about Cronenberg, he's actually a really unique director, explores a lot of the body parts and kind of surrealism. I've seen him in a couple of other films before, and... The thing is, when you see Cronenberg on screen, you, you kind of are like, wow, you know, this is great to see this Canadian legend. And they actually cast him really well because the character he played in the film um, is a little bit, you know, wink, wink. He's a bit weird. So it, it's kind of synonymous with Cronenberg himself. The thing about Cronenberg, though, is I don't know if he's a great actor. So it, it's really this dichotomy of how unique Cronenberg is as an individual but then also kind of contrasted with his acting style which I wouldn't say is always on point like did you kind of feel the same way while you were watching Cronenberg? Absolutely when I watch him I know exactly who I'm watching and I rarely see the character he's portraying I'm I, it's, it's kind of similar to seeing you know Werner Herzog or somebody like that show up in a movie it's oh my god there's David Cronenberg and he doesn't necessarily blend in and that and that's okay it's just that there are these extra things going on with this film that, at least for me, made things more confusing than I think they needed to be. I thought the movie needed to lean more into what it was trying to go for. So if it was going for a more dark thematic or maybe mystery element, at times the movie feels very almost a caricature of itself. And, you know, if you're going to go kind of down the road of a mind hunter, which it's not that dark at all, but I think you need to lean into it a bit more. I think you could certainly tell Albert had a vision, but at times I think he was, he was dropping the ball a little bit. And I think he also had a bigger theme too. He was, and maybe you might disagree with this, but 
I kind of thought he was talking a lot about how commercialism is kind of killing the death of our Canadian landscape. When you talk about subplots, you know, a big component of the film is kind of what's happening in the Niagara Falls region. And the last time I was there was in 2007. And it's certainly an area that's very commercialized. It it feels sort of, at times, uh, not uh, congruent with kind of the spectacular falls and the Canadian landscape itself. So, you know, when you're trying to do these two things, talk about commercialism, but also maybe have these dark theme issues, I don't know if it was always well balanced at the same time. I also, I think I mentioned to you before you watched the film, I said, you know, pay attention to the magic For sure. of subplot, which it is a subplot, but is also it is actually integral to the narrative. But you know, the this couple who does magic, it, it turns out that possibly the child that she saw get possibly kidnapped a long time ago could have possibly been the son of these magicians who do this one trick with a tiger, just one trick, as far as I can tell. And uh, so they. <laughs> One of one of them gets into the cage on stage. A large red curtain comes down for they count to a very slow three. So really for like 20 seconds or so. Goes back up and poof, the man in the cage is gone and there's a tiger. In it. That's a good explanation. That's a very good explanation. It's not much of a tr- trick, but they are known in the film as world championship magic. Totally. We're joined by Lindsay Campbell and Mark Davies. We're just discussing the film Disappearance at Clifton Hill. Uh, We're talking about it as part of our Canadian content today. Uh, One of the things I did find most interesting too about the film is maybe I'm going down the deep matrix kind of rabbit hole, but, you know, it was funny. They kept referring to this corporation that was trying to take over Abby's uh, inheritance and it was called the CLC And, you know, and I was just wondering if Albert maybe had motivation with things such as like, you know, the Canadian Labour Congress board or there was some other type deep meaning to the CLC. I I don't know. Did you pick up on that at all during the film? Like these little breadcrumbs that I thought he was kind of sprinkling throughout the film. Gosh, no, I I had such a hard time with the magic (laughs) subplot. I didn't really (laughs) think about that beyond Charles Lake, you know, the, the legacy of Charles Lake in the film. Uh, also, I, I, I don't want to like spoil the film, but the conclusion, there's sort of two, two conclusions to the film. One of them I feel like was very hacked on. I, I feel like I missed something perhaps. I, I don't think I did, but suddenly someone is in trouble that I didn't really understand why or how. And then there's another reveal at the end that I wanted way more answers for, but it did maybe set up for more or just to be left open. This is actually too, I was, when I was watching the film, you know, kind of going back to full circle to Cronenberg, at times I kind of wanted him to maybe just say to Albert, you know, I got it from here, you know what I mean? He'll, he would just he's gonna continue directing the film because, you know, there was just so much going on and I don't know if convoluted is the right word, but it just, you know, one minute you're kind of going down this direction and another minute you're going down another direction, which in essence, you know, sometimes as Canadian films, you know, they're meant to be ambiguous, you know, they're meant to kind of uh, not be overtly or explained to us, but it, it felt a little bit messy at times. There was one thing that I did enjoy about the film too, was you said kind of the production quality was, I thought the lighting was really impressive in the color correction. I was really impressed with, with the lighting. One of my favorite shots in the film was when 
Abby uh, looks to have kind of a one night fling with this police officer she meets at the bar and they go to kind of this um, seedy looking hotel and there was a very kind of like red gray light in the room and and it was the type of shot where I was like wow you know you got you have me right now I'm sucked into the film I agree it looked fantastic in fact it was nominated for several Canadian screen awards including best cinematography best editing best sound editing it looks and and sounds and feels fine it's it's a movie it is just like you said it's a little bit it's a little bit messy and some of the messiness is a little bit convoluted i guess is the play way of saying it just before we started recording this episode we were talking about the main actresses and her, her name's tuppence middleton when i was looking her up actually she's from england so if she was using a canadian accent i actually thought it was uh, quite well done and um, i certainly didn't detect uh, kind of the BS factor, you know, is like, oh, you know, this is actually uh, an actress that uh, is pulling off, uh, you know, an accent that I, I could certainly believe is Canadian. Absolutely. She's completely competent. I've seen her in other stuff and she's, she's perfectly good. And I will give another little shout out to Eric Johnson because he was my boyfriend for one week when we were 13. So there you go. He's famous for Fifty Shades of Grey and some other things, but he's a lovely, lovely person, even though he plays bad guys. A bad guy in the film, for sure. Well, he plays back in general. In general, yeah. <laughs> I think it, we probably would say the best part of the film is Cronenberg, yet it's not his acting, but maybe just the presence and the kind of the credence or the credibility that he brings to it. Because he, he was certainly throwing, you know, 100 miles an hour and you couldn't quite take your eyes off him. He was probably the best part about the film. Yes, but also one of the more perplexing parts as well. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. So I, I guess, Lindsay, probably to tie it up, how would you, with, you know, the enunciation of Thank You Telefilm, telefilm how would you say it in regards to disappearance at Clifton Hill? You know, like we've mentioned before, sometimes telefilms got to give money to something that already has a lot of money going on. They've already got a budget. They already know what they're doing, you know, but they still get some telefilm money. And they're clearly not completely relying on telefilm to make this happen. And I think that's perfectly fine. I think telefilm needs to make back some money, et cetera, so that they can fund other stuff. And by no means is this a super amateur thing. It's a, it's super pro. And, you know, I think it's a, it's worthy that telefilm makes these kinds of things as well. So would you say like, thanks telefilm? Or would you say, thank you telefilm? How would you put it? I would say thank you. Thank yeah. you. You know, I wouldn't say like enthusiastic, like high fives, but I'd be like, yeah, you know, thank you. If anybody's looking to check it out, I was able to find it on Apple. I was checking the Cineplex website because they do always have a good multitude of Canadian films. If you're looking to kind of get the palette wet with some Canadian content, Disappearance at Clifton Hill uh, is certainly a movie that uh, will have you kind of scratching your head at the end of it. Yep. Yep. That's fair. You're listening to Moving Radio on CJSR 88.5 FM. We're very sorry for your loss. Grandpa was all I had left. He didn't do things like other people. I made a new friend recently, a she-wolf. She goes around the house a lot. What are you doing? It's okay. You've got a pup. I'm following a falling star. Hi. Force Ranger Simpson. I heard there was a plane crash. It's pretty terrible. The plane was carrying a lion cub bought by a circus. We haven't found it yet. Keep on 
Joe, you have to come and see this. There's a wolf pup, a lion cub, and... What the hell is that? It's one of Grandpa's girlfriends. What? They're inseparable. <laughs> the she-wolf didn't come back. I'll have to take care of them myself. You have no right to them. Give me back my lion. I'll never let anything happen to you. How are you going to look after them when they're older? I have to protect them. They love each other. I'll get my lion back one way or another. Stop! We are back. We are doing our second film today. And should I say, actually, second Canadian film. Lindsay had me going down the family fair road with a movie called The Wolf and the Lion. And this film, you know, I contemplated watching it with my kids, but my spider sense was tingling. And I thought to myself, I just don't know if they're going to be able to sit through this film. Lindsay, do you want to give a little bit of a synopsis to our millions of listeners what The Wolf and the Lion is about? Oh, gosh. You know, every once in a while, these things happen and they're completely preposterous. So there's a young woman who is a concert pianist, but she inherits this incredible island with this amazing cabin and all a secret fort and all kinds of cool stuff. So she goes to see the island uh, where she's greeted by her uh, godfather, Graham Greene. It turns out that there's been a, a plane crash. And so she just happens to be walking in the forest when a lion cub falls into her arms, quite literally. Uh, so she keeps it. And also there's a, a wolf cub that is in need of some parenting. So she decides to keep that as well. Uh, I would like to caution listeners that you should not keep a wolf or a lion, but she sure does. Uh the one thing I want to say, Lindsay, too, is, or maybe we should let everybody know a little caveat. This is not a telefilm, but it is a Canadian film. So elevator tagline I got for this film, The Wolf and the Lion, I have Disney lone animal meets socially conscious filmmaking meets Anne of Green Gables. I think that one's pretty good, actually. Do you like that, that elevator tagline? That is, that's pretty good. That's pretty on the nose. <laughs> I would like to say this does well fall under the banner of Thanks Telefilm, despite not actually being telefilm production, but it is so, so Thanks Telefilm. Woo, I'm surprised it didn't have any <laughs> telefilm funding. The first thing I want to say, you know, this film, I hate to say it, it's just not very good. Uh, <laughs> there's, the thing though, when I watch art or, you know, when I view art, I can always take away something good from it. It's not a complete waste of time but I mean it, it's pretty preposterous I think you use that word at, at the beginning of, of uh, us talking about the film I, I want to first start with actually the director he's uh, actually from France and his name's and you have to um, excuse my pronunciation it's Gilles de Maestri and I'm not sure if that's correct but he has he has six children which I thought was quite interesting because you know, this film is meant, I think, for family viewing yeah. on many different levels. And I kind of was, while I was watching the film, part of me wanted to say, you know, I think him and his wife, who actually was his producing partner, made this film, you know, something that they would enjoy watching with, with their kids. And, you know, maybe I'm going out on a limb, but I, I certainly think the family genre is a huge motivation. And so I think he was trying to do something kind of postmodern, you know, what we've seen from kind of animal flicks or 
you know, kind of uh, young protagonists dealing with, as you said, like a lion cub. And one way, when I started watching the film, I thought it was going to be something like, you know, kind of like early 90s. Like, you remember the film White Fane with Ethan Hawke or Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. I think that was from like 93. Like, I kind of thought maybe she would be navigating, you know, the terrain of the Canadian wilderness with these animals. But it does not go in that direction at all. No, no, there. So I have to say there is one thing that I do that was nice about this film in that there was no CGI. It was actually a it's actually a lion and actually a wolf and they actually are friends. But this is a, not a good reason to make a movie. So basically the, the director was making another film about a lion and speaking to some animal trainers one day, he got this idea. Wouldn't it be crazy? We raised a wolf and a lion together and made a movie about it. I don't think they asked the wolf or the lion their opinions on the matter, but this lion and this wolf do live together to this day. They're, they are apparently best buds. And the film was filmed over 36 months where we do actually see the animals grow to maturity and uh, they were allowed to roam free and nothing basically the cameras went where the animals went instead of making the animals do something for the camera so there's some interesting ish but kind of questionable things going on with the production of this film uh, but as for the the narrative it, it's so incredibly ridiculous in that animal animal person bond genre <laughs> Absolutely. You, you did a great job of explaining. I also read that only a few people could interact with the animals, which is nothing new. You know, you, you've heard of films probably, you know, for the last 40 years. And I don't know if it's, let's say it's like a movie with Tom Hanks, like Turner and Hooch often, you know, these actors try to build bonds with, with the animals over the course of the film. But I certainly felt, you know, that the director was probably more concerned about what to do with the animals and and kind of show them on screen than actually telling like a story that's interesting and, and, you know, kind of makes you forget that you're watching a film because at times, you know, he's just kind of jumping all over the place. There's, there's a, a subplot dealing with animal abuse. You know, you deal with all these different institutions like zoologists, a SWAT team, <laughs> uh, a circus on the road, uh, forest rangers, uh, doctors, and it's just, there's, it's just out there. And the thing is, is if you're going to use animals and you're going to use the terrain, I think you have two really strong elements to, to start with, you know, and instead of focusing on, on those two strong elements, he decided to kind of go out and left field and, and have a bunch of other peripheral factors that I just made the film not um, clear at times. So I will say though, kind of a theme that we had in our first film we had green uh cronenberg i have to say graham green it was nice to see a canadian yeah. legend uh, in the film and you know when i was kind of going back through his imdb Lindsay, check out 90 to 95 he was in dances with wolves thunderheart maverick die hard with a vengeance and then i mean most recently he was in 2017's wind river like just yeah. a guy who, who is the epitome of you know canadian yeah. uh, actors and really great to see him on screen yeah, you know, and I thought that you might <laughs> might enjoy the sort of unintentional uh, tie between the two films of that there's a sort of this magic show <laughs> in Clifton Hill and this circus show 
in The Wolf and the Lion, in which both cases people do not come off well. As you said, there's this whole animal abuse kind of subplot that's a bit, um, it's out there. They really, he really does jump all over the place with this thing. Yeah, with, by the time the SWAT team shows up, I think I was banging my head on the table. Well, or banging your head or, it's one of those films where it was certainly an exercise to not want to pull out my cell phone and start doing the scroll of death and just, you know, going down, down a social media app. Like I really struggled to get to the end of the film. I will say a couple things. Once again, uh, if you want to talk about themes as well, some actually pretty good cinematography. I thought a few times when they were shooting around the lake, uh, it actually looked very breathtaking. I thought they used a lot of natural lighting. That was one of the things that, that I thought was strong. But once again, I, I think, you know, for some reason, he didn't want to focus on the things he had at his disposal and kind of went in a, in a completely different direction. It's it's like he reached into a basket of, of plot ideas and grabbed a whole handful and went with all of them. Absolutely. Uh, what did you think of... Um, Holly Coons, who plays Alma? Certainly, I thought she was okay. I thought, too, when I was watching the film... And maybe you could say this with Graham Greene. A lot of the dialogue I felt was a little strained and a little, it was flat. I thought a lot of the dialogue was flat throughout the film. Sometimes it's one of those things where I think less is more and they try to do more is less, which, which was a big problem with the film. They absolutely went for more when they could have just had a nice wolf and a lion playing together. Which those those parts were quite nice. I appreciated that it wasn't CGI. I don't know if anybody saw that Harrison Ford dog thing about a year ago, but everything is CGI and it was absolutely horrifying. So I'm glad they didn't do that with this. But yeah, this is a this is this is a if if this had a drop of telefilm money, I would say oh telefilm. <laughs> How about this, Lindsay? Are you pro wolf? are pro-line in the film. Not that they're competing factions and not that there's, you know, teams, but which animal were you more gravitated towards while you're watching the wolf and the lion? You know, oh, that is such a tough question because my dog has a little bit of wolf in him. So you'd think that I'd be more partial to a wolf, but I feel like they're just, there's more wolves here. So maybe if I choose lion, I can later on in life don't choose a wolf. (laughs) But I don't know. I think I gravitated. I also felt bad for the lion for being in, uh, I guess they shot part of this in Alberta. So I, I felt kind of bad that there was a lion, a lion wandering involved in having to come to Alberta. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The wolf and the lion. It is certainly a kid's film. And I don't think this is the type of movie, you know, sometimes when the parents are like, you know what, I, I think I'll enjoy this film with my kids. I don't even think the adults have to watch this film. But then again, I don't even think the kids would get much out of the film because it deals with a lot of adult subject matter. But it's a film for maybe cable TV on a Sunday afternoon when there's not a lot lot to uh, watch. I think that is accurate. I I just want to once again thank Christian for allowing us to uh, do the whole show today. And I also want to thank the producer and executive producer who I'm talking to right now, Lindsay Campbell. She always puts in all the hard work with the audio engineering and makes us sound really good and adds all those great clips. So thank you, Lindsay, for wearing many hats. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Moving Radio. Yay, Moving Radio.